welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Preset Ministries Unlocking the Truth podcast. Uh, it's Derek here with you this time, and we're going to continue working our way through 1 John. Before we jump into that, I just want to remind everyone about the bus tour coming up in August 22nd to the 25th. It's a three-day trip. We're driving from Brantford to Kentucky. We're going to spend a day at the Creation Museum. We're going to spend a day at the Ark Encounter. That's the life-sized replica of Noah's Ark. We're going to be studying on the way down and on the way back. And uh, so if you want to be a part of that, please go to the website, presetministries.ca. There will be a banner that says bus tour. Go ahead and click on that. All of the information is there. Please plan to be a part of this. It's a great way to cap off your summer. We're going to have a whole lot of fun, and uh, we're going to be able to study God's Word and see some really interesting and exciting things. I hope you can join us. Okay, so let's get back into 1 John. Today we're going to look at the first 12 verses of 1 John chapter 5. Uh, We've been working our way through this text. Last time we looked at uh, what John tells us about love, about the love that we receive from God, about the love that we're supposed to have from one another. And today uh, we're going to look at our status as those who are loved by God, Uh, what it is that God can help us through and do for us. Then we're going to look at what uh, 1 John tells us about this water and blood and spirit that testify about Jesus Christ. So I want us to uh, turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to read these first 12 verses together, and uh, we're going to work our way through this passage Uh, verse by verse. It's 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, 
and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. All right, let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. This is um, the foundational doctrinal belief of all Christians, that whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I have, in my role as a pastor, have preached in uh, numerous different churches. But one thing that they all have in common is that at the front of the church, placed prominently is the cross. In some uh, form, in some shape, we have the cross. I've seen some that are just like birch trees that are in the shape of a cross. Some are beautiful and ornate. Some are lit up. Uh, Some are huge. Uh, There is a, a church way up north in Nunavut that has two narwhal tusks, the, the, the big horns that come from the narwhal that are uh, put together to create the cross. This is something that we all as believers have in common, is Jesus Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever believes that Jesus came to redeem us from our sins is the Christ, is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. John is speaking to a, um, in a time where people are doubting the deity of Jesus Christ, where they are saying that they believe in and they love God, but they don't believe that Jesus was the Christ or that Jesus was the Son of God or that Jesus had the the full deity of God. And what John is saying is that you cannot love the Father and not love the child born of him. So you can't say that you love God, but you don't love Jesus. And so as a believer in God, We also have to love Jesus. We cannot separate God from Jesus. It also uh, says that whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And we can't love the Father unless we love the child born of him, which means Jesus. But it also means fellow believers, those who are born of God. God. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So we can't, again, say that we love the Father and not love other believers, which is not always easy to do. It's easy to love Jesus and God because they're perfect and uh, they've done incredible things for us. But where the difficulty is, is sometimes it's hard for us to love our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. And the way that we can do that is we have to remember who they were born of and who they were born from. If you have children, how would you react if someone says, look, you're my friend and I love you, but I don't love your children. I don't like your children. That relationship is going to suffer. 
there's going to be some brokenness in that relationship. And it's the same if we say, God, yeah, I love you, but, you know, I, I don't like Jesus. I love, I love you, but I, I don't like what Jesus calls us to. And so I, I love you, but I'm going to ignore the ministry uh, of Jesus. And so when we understand where, that Jesus is born of God, then because we love God, we should also love Jesus. And the same goes for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should love them because of who their father is. We love God, and so we should love his children as well. John, in verse 3, says something that uh, sometimes we wish that he didn't say. He says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This we're okay with saying. Yes, we should keep the commandments of God. Um, But he goes on to say, and his commands are not burdensome. So we don't keep his commands begrudgingly. We don't do it grumbling. We do it with joy. His commands are not burdensome. The reason that his commands are not burdensome is because they come from him. The commands of of God are burdensome to the natural man, the, the, the unbeliever, because the unbeliever's desire is to do his or her own will. And sometimes even for the believer, our desire is to do our own will and not the will of God. But it's, they shouldn't be burdensome to the believer because as we live our Christian life, as we are uh, living this process of sanctification, as we study the word and get closer and closer to God, that every step we get closer to him, the more and more we should be conformed to his image. And his commands are only burdensome to us because we have a desire to do or to be something that is not godly. His commands become a burden because we don't want to do them, which means we want to do something that is not godly. We see the Pharisees taking the laws of God and um, creating more and more and more different laws and different rules and different things. They create, they made the law of God burdensome. But he says that they shouldn't be burdensome. The Pharisees made it so that anyone who wanted to live righteously, uh, it would be a great burden on them to do so. But if we love God, John says that we would keep his commandments. Now, that's not to say that the commands of God are not difficult. They are absolutely difficult, but they should not be burdensome to us. It takes uh, some focus. We need to buckle down, focus on the task, and we seek to obey God out of the joy of obeying the commands of our Savior. When we understand the true nature and character of God, when we understand the saving grace that he has given us, then we are going to seek to obey out of the joy of obeying the commands of the one who saved us. We recognize the commands originate in the person of God. The origin of the commands matter. If I tell you this is how you should live, this is what your life should look like, then that's not going to carry a whole lot of weight. Because who am I? I I may be a pastor. uh, I may have uh, some sort of role in, in some people's lives. But my commands 
are burdensome because they are my commands, because I am fallible, because I am sinful, because I am no different than anyone else. But when the commands come from God, when we know the origins of those commands, then they should not be burdensome. Origins matter. It's imperative that we know where these commands come from. And when we realize that they originate in the person of God, our Savior, then they should not be burdensome. The reason that we joyfully obey the laws and the commands of God is because we know where the law came from. We know where those commands came from, that they came from the one who saved us. So they should not be burdensome. When things are burdensome, when a command is burdensome, we complain about it or we put it off or we try and avoid it at all costs. We see the Israelites in the wilderness. They were laid this heavy burden of living in the wilderness. What they forgot was who God was and what he did for them. Their desire became to return to where they were before God saved them because it was too difficult for them in the wilderness. They focused on themselves, their own comforts, and their own desires over that of God, the one who saved them. And so they thought it was better in Egypt. It was better to live as slaves than it was to live in the wilderness because what they were forgetting was who God was and what he, what he did for them and what he continued to do for them. The manna, the quail, the water from the rock, all of these things, um, they ceased to recognize the origin of the commands. And so uh, they focused on the wrong thing. They focused on themselves and what they wanted instead of who God was and what they wanted. I don't know if you've ever had a job that you hated. Uh, I have. Um, and the days in those jobs just dragged on by. The work wasn't hard, but it was draining because I just hated the work so much. If you've ever been in a job that you absolutely love, the days fly by and the work is hard and challenging, but it also is satisfying and worth it. And that's how we need to see the commands of God, not as something that we have to do, but something that we love to do because we know who gave those commands to us. They are not burdensome because they originate in who God is. And here's what we receive from God. Verse 4 says, And whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Whoever, Whatever is born of God. Who is it that is born of God? In verse 1, it says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ overcomes the world. And the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. It is our faith that allows us to overcome the difficulties and the difficult circumstances in the world. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So if you are a believer, if you believe Jesus is the Christ, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, then you should be able to overcome the world, the difficulties of the world, the, the hard circumstances that we have to live through. Now, if you're a believer and you say, listen, my life is difficult. 
My life is hard. I am in difficult circumstances. Where is God in those hard and difficult circumstances? If I am a if I am born of God and I'm told that I will overcome the world, why am I still going through a hard and difficult time? And the answer is the promise is not that you will be freed from difficult circumstances. The verse doesn't say that your circumstances will change and become easier. What we are promised is that we will overcome the world. And we will overcome the world through our faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not that God um, takes away our difficult circumstances. What happens, the promise that we have is that through our faith in Jesus Christ and in God the Father, we can persevere through life's difficult circumstances, and we can get through them and overcome them. You see, overcoming is not being freed from difficulty. Overcoming is working through it and coming over it. If you see a giant mountain in front of you, you do not overcome the mountain by having the mountain disappear. You overcome the mountain by climbing it, by getting up and over it. You get to the other side by getting up and getting over it and moving over it, not wishing that it would disappear. You still have to deal with the mountain. You still have to live amidst those difficult circumstances. But the promise that we have from God is that through our faith, we will be able to overcome the difficult circumstances of life. We will not, they will not be fixed. They will not be removed. But we will be able to persevere through them and overcome them. Be careful that you're not hearing that difficult circumstances go away when you believe in God. And that's not true for two reasons. We know that's not true. Um, because as believers, we still have difficulties in our lives. And nowhere in Scripture are we promised that we will be freed from difficult circumstances. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we will be freed from suffering if we are disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, what we are told in, in the Word is the exact opposite. In Philippians chapter 1, 29 to 30, it says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul tells us that we are to expect Suffering. We are to expect difficult life circumstances as followers of God. One, because we simply still live in a broken and a fallen world. And two, because the life of a disciple is not an easy one. It is not free from difficult circumstances. It is not free from hardship. And if you were ever told that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, your life is going to be easier and better and you won't have difficult circumstances, um, that is simply not true. That is a, a lie. What is true is that um, your life is better not because it's easier, 
but because you are given the tools through your faith in Jesus Christ to get over and to get through those difficult circumstances. We overcome our sin. We overcome sin through faith because our faith allows us to exchange our desires for sinful things to the things of God. When we have faith in Jesus Christ and when we are living a life that is um, worthy of the gospel, what happens is that our desire is changes from the desire to sin to the desire to, to not sin, to, to do the right thing, to live the right way. Now, that's not to say that we will never be tempted, but it will become easier and easier for us to resist that temptation because we are being more and more like Christ. Our lives are looking more and more like Jesus Christ. We are becoming more and more godly. And when we truly understand the difference between what the world has to offer and what God has to offer, we lose our appetite for the things of this world. It's like when you, when you finally understand how food is made and processed— Sometimes you lose your appetite for those foods. There's that saying, no one wants to see how the sausage gets made because it's not a nice process. And when we understand what is being offered to us, then we lose our appetite for it. And so when we understand what the world has to offer compared to what God has to offer, we should be losing our appetite for the things of this world, and we should be trying to consume the things of God instead of the things of this world. Jesus is better than what the world has to offer. We should not be craving the things of this world over Jesus Christ because the things of this world are not satisfying. They are temporal, and they are not eternal, and they're not even close to what God has in store for us in Jesus Christ. It's like if you sit down at a table, at a banquet table, and you are offered two meals. One of the offerings is prime rib with all the fixins, the Yorkshire pudding and the, and the au jus sauce and the mashed potatoes. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, a nasty old hot dog on a stale bun. That's what the world has to offer. A gross hot dog on a stale bun. What God has to offer us is so much better, and we lose our appetite for the things of this world, and our desires become the things of God. So we're going to finish up looking at these three things that testify to who Jesus Christ is. Um, John says, this is the one, that one is Jesus Christ who came by water and blood, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood, it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Why is John so adamant that there are three that testify to who Jesus Christ is? And the reason is, is because uh, he knows who, his audience. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, uh, we're talking about, we're looking at the, the ways in which the Israelite people are to live and to work with one another. And it says, um, Deuteronomy 19 verse 15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses 
or of three witnesses shall a charge be established, which means that nobody's claim holds any weight unless it can be substantiated by what Deuteronomy says, two witnesses or three witnesses. So John is saying that the claim of of Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Son of God, is corroborated by three witnesses, the, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And so the question is, well, what are those things? How do they testify to who Jesus Christ is? How do they testify to him as the Christ? And here are the three things, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. The water and the Spirit come into play at the baptism of Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist baptizes him and brings him out of the waters of baptism, it says that the heavens open up and the Spirit of the Lord descends on him like a dove and says, This is my Son. So the Spirit at the time of of baptism, in the waters of baptism, the Spirit of God testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. This is my Son. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. There is a ringing endorsement from God the Father about who this man Jesus is. So we have water and we have spirit there. We also have water and we have blood. At the beginning of his ministry, we have water and spirit in his baptism. At the end of his life, as he's hanging on the cross, the, um, the soldier comes to him in John 19, verse 31, also written by the same person who's writing this letter. And it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Came out blood and water. And this was evidence that Jesus Christ was dead, that the Savior of the world that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, was in fact dead. It says, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. John is talking about himself in verse 35 of John chapter 19. He who saw it bore witness. He's saying, I was there. I saw with my own eyes when his side was pierced that out poured water and out poured blood, which testify to the death of Jesus Christ, that he did in fact die. And the reason that that matters, the reason that that's important is because if he didn't actually die, then his resurrection is no miracle. His resurrection doesn't mean anything if he wasn't actually dead. John is reinforcing that what actually happened, that he did actually die, and so that his resurrection becomes um, the mechanism by which God brings about the justification for his people. So the water, the blood, the spirit, and, and the whole of Scripture is filled with examples of blood and water testifying and pointing to Jesus Christ. We see the, uh, the blood at, at the Passover. We see uh, the passing through of the Dead Sea. Um, we see the, the need for um, uh, blood at, in sacrifice at the, in the tabernacle in the wilderness. We see the entrance into the tabernacle, into the Holy 
holy place. There needs to be a ceremonial washing and cleansing. We see that they need to be washed clean in order to enter into the presence of God. All of those things point back to Jesus Christ, that he makes us clean, that he cleanses us, that it is his blood that allows death to pass us over. All of these things point us to Jesus Christ, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, all testify to who Jesus Christ is. So here we have in John chapter 5, we have this understanding and this idea that we all who are believers all believe the same thing. The very foundation of our belief is that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ and is the Son of God. And when we start there, then that means that we should, if we love the Father, we love Jesus Christ. If we love the Father, we love his people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That if we love God, then his commands are not burdensome, that we observe them, and they are not difficult. They are, sorry, they are difficult, but they are not burdensome. That our faith in God through Jesus Christ allows us to overcome the world, the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in, Also, um, the sin that we find ourselves tempted by. It is our faith that allows us to overcome these things. And finally, that we are reassured of who Jesus Christ is, that there is the testimony of three witnesses, blood, water, and spirit. And all three are in agreement with who Jesus is. The Christ, he's our Savior and our Redeemer. He is the Son of God, and it is through him that we receive are the gift of grace and the salvation that we receive from God comes through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Unlocking the Truth podcast. Uh, next time, uh, make sure you tune in. Uh, Mark is going to be taking us through uh, the unforgivable sin. Really interesting stuff, really exciting. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Make sure that you come back here every two weeks and listen to uh, the next installment of the podcast. Remember the bus tour that's happening in August. Please go to the website, presetministries.ca. Um, and take a look at the information there. It's going to be a whole lot of fun, um, and it's going to be uh, a great time. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I hope that it was beneficial to you. I hope that as, as we walk through this text together, you are able to uh, to learn some things and to, uh, to understand more about who God is uh, and the love that he has for us. So thanks again, and uh, we will uh, join up with Mark in two weeks. Thank you. For more information on Precept Ministries Canada, visit us online at www.preceptministries.ca or call us at 877-234-2030.